In this episode, we speak with Princeton Equity Group co-founder and managing partner, Jim Waskovich. The firm is among the most experienced franchise and multi-unit investors in the United States, having sponsored investments in some of the most admired growth-oriented brands in the consumer, healthcare, and business services industries. Jim co-founded Princeton Equity Group, co-leads its investment activities, and sits on the firm's investment committee. Prior to co-founding the firm, Jim spent nearly 20 years as a private equity investor at Summit Partners, ABS Capital, and Princeton Ventures, which he founded in 2006. Jim is also the founder and chairman of Princeton MedSpa Partners, a leading consolidator and franchisor in the non-invasive medical aesthetics industry. I am your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to follow. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you. Uh, it's great to be here, RJ. It's been a long time coming. Excited to finally make it on this podcast. Yeah, very excited to have you on. It's going to be a true pleasure. So I noticed I was doing a little bit of research on your website, and I was clicking through your team's profiles, and I noticed that everyone has a quote from someone notable, except that you and Rob, it seems like you're quoting yourselves. Right. <laughs> Is Do I have that correct? You, you thought like, there's no other quote out there that I can think of from someone else. So I'm going to come up with something better. So it, that is such a funny observation. You know, it's one of those things where the marketing firm like sort of says, you could come up with your own quote or, you know, use a quote from someone else. And when I have the chance to do something that's my own, or like, why not do that? That's differentiated. That's interesting. But I guess we only have two people at the entire firm that were original enough to do their own quote. They're fantastic quotes. I had it up on the screen. I'll read yours, actually, because it's very good. There are no shortcuts to building a market leader. You have to be good at everything to win in today's hyper-competitive world. It's actually something I've been saying for many years. I didn't just kind of create this on the spot. And it really informs, I think, the way we think about supporting our companies post-close. And candidly, it is the reason why entrepreneurs choose to partner with us in the first place. It is very hard. It looks easy, right? You read the Wall Street Journal, you see great exits, you see high flyers. But what that doesn't demonstrate is that there are literally millions of companies in America, all with the vision of solving problems and becoming big over time. And there are also lots and lots of sources of capital. So money is pretty generic. So how do you win? And why does a, an entrepreneur of a great business want to partner with anyone to begin with? I think it's truly because they realize that you have to solve for balance sheet over the long run, and you have to solve for human capital over the long run. And you know, more smart people are better than fewer smart people. And we bring this philosophy of not just focusing on one area or two areas, but really thinking about what are all the things we need to do to be successful in this market? And we kind of have to do them all, not all in one year, but certainly over the course of a holding period, we really should tackle most 
of the key things that are required to be successful over the long run? You know, it's interesting. When I first started learning about your firm and the types of investments you were pursuing, I thought, oh, that's really novel. Like, how did you get into kind of this area of, of franchises? And you have a very interesting story. You know, you previously worked in private equity, and then you decided to go out on your own. Tell us about that inflection point. Yeah, so I started at Summit Partners in Boston and then ABS Capital in Baltimore and had really always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Uh, I think if you asked me at the age of 10 or 11 years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would have said an entrepreneur, which was a big word uh, back then. But so always had this entrepreneurial urge and had the opportunity at a young age, I think it was 28 years old when I started our predecessor firm, Princeton Ventures to do something on my own. And we really started as an independent sponsor, perhaps with the idea that we were gonna actually be more software oriented in our focus, but ended up getting around my first franchisor, which was a business called Massage Envy. And when I saw that business model, it really looked to me like a software business model. Instead of selling code to someone like a software business uh, in exchange for a license fee or a royalty or a subscription, a franchisor you know, licenses a brand, a playbook, often a protected territory to someone in exchange for a license fee and then an ongoing royalty. And these business models can be on the franchisor side, very scalable, very high margin. You know, in our world, free cash flow is very, very close, if not in some cases exceeds EBITDA. So these have turned out to be very, very good businesses to own. But that was sort of how we got into it. We, we saw our first one, Massage Envy. That was a great outcome for us. We were able to have a very successful exit. We got that business to 800 locations, over a billion of revenue, and sold that to Rourke in a short period of time. And then when you do it once, you kind of say, hey, how can we do this over and over again? And that is really what Princeton Equity Group has become. You know, your journey has been very impressive, and it, it took some time and you kept at it, building upon your investment track record, and you've made it work. It's very difficult to build a private equity firm. You know, there's funds that start off or investors that start off as a fundless sponsor and they, you know, will make one deal work. They'll get a windfall. Maybe they'll sit back and enjoy the kind of fruits of their labor. But you've kind of consistently kept at it. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of your mindset? around building your firm? Yeah, so I think it starts with the idea that we always thought about this as a business. And we always thought about this as, if we're gonna be in business, we wanna figure out how to win long-term. So we did some things very early on that were really unusual, particularly for a fundless or independent sponsor. One thing we started to do early on was invest heavily in data and technology. We've spent a lot of money over the years and today we have, we've been doing this for 10 years now, we have a massive data repository here. We track over 20 million companies, over 280 million people, and we've written millions of lines of code. We've got a team offshore. And that initiative was begun pre-fund uh, before we were managing institutional capital. And I think is evidence of the fact that we were always thinking, how do we have an edge how do we do more of this? How do we get ourselves around the very best investment opportunities? 
So we never viewed it as a lifestyle business. We viewed it as a way we could get started and a way we could have freedom and flexibility in the beginning to think differently than maybe the person who spins out of a large firm at a later age and just goes to some LPs they know and they're off doing their own fun exactly the way it's been done for decades and decades before. You know, what do you think has been the most challenging? I mean, you've been successful at, you know, raising funds and, you know, you've been successful in developing your place in the market. What's been the most challenging aspect to kind of getting to where you are today? Look, at the end of the day, it's a common answer, but uh, the, the challenge is people. Just how do you get yourself around the best people? And one of the things I didn't fully comprehend until maybe midway through this journey is that the best people want to work at the best firms. So if you're a C, as a, however you would grade yourself as a firm, it's just very hard to hire A players. A players don't work at C firms. So I think as we were getting going, the challenge was how do you get that person to share our vision for the future and believe without a lot of outside data points? without lots of AUM, without decades of track record, kind of believe that this was going to be a place for them that one, would be in business for a, a long time and they could spend their career with us, but two, the sort of place that they felt like would be an A firm over time. Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk a little bit about investment judgment. The nice thing about your portfolio companies is, is people know them. They'll, they'll recognize some of the brands. So it's kind of fun to talk about. But I'm sure it's not easy kind of making that final decision of go, no go to invest. So can you tell us a little bit about your process? And then as part of that, maybe we'll touch on like D1 or stretch zone or, you know, the car wash holding. So yeah, we'd love to hear more about your investment process. Yeah. So look, the one of the nice things about our strategy is that we tend, even though to invest in growth concepts they tend to have a lot of information and a lot of data. You know, often our concepts will have a hundred or more locations open. Typically they've got five or 10 or 15 years of operating history around the oldest locations. That may mean that there are millions of transactions that we could analyze in diligence. And of course we've invested in data. I think one of the things I love about our strategy is that a lot of the questions we have in diligence ultimately those answers are knowable based on the data we have at our disposal and our capability at actually working with that information. So although we tend to invest in lower middle market businesses, we tend to be the first institutional investor in those businesses. We can get at the information and I think as a result, make investment decisions that are grounded in real information. Got it. And once you make the investment, what areas do you typically spend time on, you know, within the business to help the company grow? Yeah. So it really starts with the team. So we tend to invest around a visionary founder, but often that founder has really never built a large business before. We've been lucky enough to do that many times. So we really bring that experience around seeing what the business looks like as it gets to a thousand locations or more. So it starts with the team. We tend to build the entire C-suite around our founder. So we do a lot of hiring here. It's one of the things that we really take off our founder's plate. Uh, We really lead the hiring around the C-suite. 
we have a real process for that here. And I think we have a really good track record of attracting great talent to our companies. At the end of the day, what we're trying to get around that C-suite is a level of sophistication where that team can work with the information that we have in our businesses. And once we have that sophistication around the team, if it doesn't exist already, we're generally investing in systems, business intelligence, so that we can get the information out of the unit level and actually make use of it at the franchisor level. Ultimately, our goal is to know more about what's happening at the unit level than the franchisee who owns the unit, or in the event we own it as a corporate model, more than the manager on the ground in that unit. And we can do it in our businesses generally. Once we have all that information, then we can actually drive change and positive same-store sales improvements. We spend a lot of time in development, actually selling licenses to new licensees. You know, again, in franchising, we're in the licensing business. So you have to be good at selling licenses in this world. So we'll often really revamp the entire process that a company uses to sell. We like to say award licenses to prospective franchisees. And we can generally both dramatically change the quantity of licenses sold, but also the quality of the franchisee that we're attracting to our systems. Again, if you think about every functional area that a franchisor or multi-unit business needs to be good at, those are all the areas that we tend to spend time in post-close. And are there certain areas or segments of franchising that you're drawn to, if it's in health and wellness or something along those lines? Or are you fairly kind of broad-based as you're looking at companies? Yeah, so we're willing to look at a lot of different areas, but what we've historically been drawn to are services franchisors. So I think it's funny, you, you close your eyes and you think franchising and you think about McDonald's, and Burger King, all the QSR concepts that we all tend to interact with almost every day, if not every month. We actually have not invested in a restaurant before, yet we've invested in over 35 concepts. We love these services businesses where we have a longer term relationship with the customer. These businesses tend to be higher margin and they actually tend to hold up quite well in downturns. We look for those essential services that a consumer tends to cut last in times of stress. So those are kind of the, the areas we like to spend time in and we love these services businesses. Excellent. Well, we're coming up on time. I do have two final questions I like to ask in every interview. One is, can you tell us about a person who has had a profound influence on you? So uh, I was just at lunch with this person a moment ago, really one of my great friends uh, and someone you know, someone you've had on this podcast. It's uh, Bill Martin. Bill and I uh, went to high school together. Bill was sort of the person that was trading stocks at a very young age. I as a young person, my parents were educators, so didn't have much exposure to the public markets or private equity or anything like that. So Bill was really formative in my getting ultimately into an investment role here. And uh, to this day has been uh, just a fabulous supporter of what we do here at Princeton Equity Group. And as a public market investor, it's really great to get his perspectives on what we do, you know, sometimes as a sector specialist, you can lose sight a little bit of what's happening in the broader markets. And he's always been a fabulous resource and you're providing that insight over time. 
Well, that's a great answer. And and yeah, I know Bill and Bill's a wonderful guy. And I'd like to actually touch on something there because it is unique. You know, I've come to know a lot of different managing partners at private equity firms, but your relationship with Bill is unique in that I think you've both kind of helped each other and he actually has supported you on the Princeton Ventures side earlier in the journey. What are some of those elements that you think broadly would be good advice to anyone as they're kind of developing their professional and personal relationships? It's a very broad question, but it's something I think you have unique perspective on. I think the thing that so much of us miss is just having that kind of source of honesty and honest feedback in their lives. I think one of Bill's great strengths is he is the honest broker in the room or in any kind of relationship. And look, you have to care a lot to be honest, right? Being honest is hard, but he's always been one of those few people that have been willing to give me very candid and honest feedback over the last several decades. And it's truly a gift to get that feedback from someone who cares enough to sometimes tell you things that you don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Last question. Could you tell us about a charity cause or other endeavor that you're passionate about? So one of the things that I care a lot about is preservation of open space, particularly here in New Jersey, the, the Princeton area where I'm based. We've had some great organizations that have preserved a lot of the space that's left around us. Uh, so that's an area that I think a lot about and, and spend time around. Excellent. Well, Jim, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you again for taking the time. Uh, I know our audience will find this very insightful. Thanks, RJ. Really appreciate it. Great to see you. Thank you.